Welcome to the WebWell Podcast, brought to you by Cascade Web Development. I'm one of your hosts, Simon, along with Ben, and we can't wait to dive into all things internet, tech, web development, and web design. We'll also be discussing how we balance work and life, and exploring the fascinating world of internet innovation. So whether you're a tech enthusiast, or just looking for some entertainment, join us on this exciting journey as we explore the ever-changing landscape of the web. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get started. All right, welcome everyone to the WebWell podcast, episode number 12. We're excited. Ben and I are hosting today with our guest and friend, Wyatt Gaines. Wyatt, how's it going, man? It's well. Thanks so much for having me. Welcome, Wyatt. Yeah. I think ultimately, let's introduce you, get some background, right? So what's going on? How did we meet? Uh, what have you been up to? Where, how'd you get there? I know that's a load, load of questions, but, uh, figure out which one you want to answer first. Yeah, sure. No worries. No worries. Yeah. I was introduced to Cascade web development, uh, during my time at a local Oregon brewery. Uh, we had engaged with them to create a website and, and it was a pretty awesome partnership. You know, uh, look back fondly on that project and, uh, you know, just, just really became rather friendly with this team. So there you have it. Right. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, uh, when we started, that was that predated Simon. So you were working directly with Michael and then Simon jumped on board and you guys got to do a little more, uh, riffing back and forth on design and brand, but yeah, it's uh, it was a, a cool engagement that evolved as the, the team members kind of evolved. Yeah. I, I look back on actually that specific instance, why I don't know if you knew this, but just the brainstorming session that we specifically had for the one need. And I, I went down this whole rabbit hole in the back of my head. And then finally it was like, Simon, what do you think? And I just got a chance to spew it out, which is if any creative knows is like angels are singing the lights on you. It just, it's so good to just have an idea. It's not necessarily even that it was the one we chose or, or executed on. It was just that like, dude, I've got this solution. I think this would be sick, you know? And to be able to deliver it, and you guys like, even you, Wyatt, you're like, yeah, I like that. And then we could do this. As a creative, just that spitball is just like so fun. That's what we wake up for, right? For sure. Yeah. It's at times can be a performance job. Um, absolutely. Three, two, one, perform. <laughs> yeah. Go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's more on that? Uh, you know, it's, it's hard being a creative, right? Because you're kind of like, Oh, I need to listen more. I need to recommend more. I got to say no more. I got to say yes more. You know what I mean? And it's like, where do you find that balance? So yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I know. I I think Ben does a pretty good job in just letting me like, again, we, we just got off a call about an hour ago and I don't really give much input the whole time just because I'm sponge. I'm sponge mode. I'm just listening, absorbing. And then if I'm lucky, it's like, all right, Simon, go ahead. What are your thoughts? Right. Right at the end. It's like, okay, this is what I was thinking. You know, it's, it's fun that way. So, so leading up to the last job at the brewery, what design specific or, or even career background, why, what, what led you to that? And uh, what are you doing now? Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm an Oregonian, uh, born and raised in Beaverton, Oregon. I, uh, found design at a really young age, you know, I'm talking like Founded in high school. We had a graph design class on those multicolored Macintosh computers with the clear plastic, you know, the whole thing. Uh, I mean, like pretty much as soon as I sat down in front of Adobe Illustrator, I knew this is what I wanted to do. And I've been with it ever since, right? And so so I went to school in Portland. Uh, I got my BFA in graphic design. That was all jolly good and whatnot. After that, I ended up in the responsive web design world. So I basically entered the job force uh, at the same time responsive web design was really shaking things up, okay? And this is like the era where like, okay, we got to teach everybody what a media query is. We got to comp every single page in three different viewports, you know, extensive stuff. And uh, this was a time where we didn't have Sketch, you know, we didn't have Figma, let alone Figma rather, you know? And so... So yeah, so that was that was really how I started my career. So I'm humming along and that's going well and all that. 
I was actually laid off from a web design company right when I remember like one of the last things I did was like lead a team meeting about like, this is sketch. These are components. This is how we can bring this in. And this is going to free us from like, you know, hours and hours of redundant Photoshop work and whatnot. And then like a week later, I was let go. So I was like, wow, that was really interesting. <laughs> so basically, like any Multnomah County resident, I fleed to Deschutes County. Okay. I fleed to the more scenic version of Oregon. And uh, I found this really, I mean, I didn't really move here for career reasons. It was more of a lifestyle choice, you know, and I, I found this job at a weekly tabloid. So this is a free newspaper. You go to it for events, music venues you know, uh, uh, back page ads, <laughs> things like that. Right. So this mm -hmm. was a pretty neat experience. Cause, um, I got to, you know, I was, I was kind of living my dream of working in print. Right. And, uh, so that was really, I was working alongside journalists, learned a lot of transferable skills from journalists, you know, things like how to ask great questions, how to investigate, how to get to that root of a problem, which kind of is a design thinking, uh, ethos. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is great. So I'm loving this. <clears throat> in the town of Bend, you know, craft beer is 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 arguably our main industry. A job opening popped up in craft beer and I jumped on it. Okay. And so I was really excited about this because it was a way to start with with consumer packaged goods in the CPG industry. And boy did I ever, you know, this this job basically had me in the driver's seat on really complicated print projects. Uh, you know, you got multi-pieces occurring at once in order to launch a beer. And then on top of it, you're marketing it as well. And mm -hmm. so and so that was great. And obviously, like, you know, craft beer is, is really going through a lot right now, uh, rather flat. So they're trying some new things. And I, find my, I found myself, you know, I find myself uh, in a new path. And that path is, path is freelance graphic design. Nice. So as freelancer, I don't, I don't think it's even in our notes, but as a freelance, just real quick trends wise, what you're seeing, even, even specific to maybe the brewery craft brewery, um, industries, what do you see just being a, a big trend on focus? Like where are people putting their money when it comes to design and marketing? Yeah. You know what, what I'm seeing right now well, you know, there was there was some pretty wide sweeping layoffs towards the beginning of the year uh, really affected, you know, media or design related jobs heavily. OK, mm -hmm. and I see like these people, you know, basically they're not really going to go back to the way it was before COVID and such. Uh, and, and I see so many people forging off and doing their own thing. OK, and I see a lot of DTC. I see a lot of self-employed individuals right now. And really, I'm just taken with like the DTC movement. You know, these folks, it's like whatever industry they were spun out of via COVID, they're kind of like acquiring something from that industry and packaging it and selling it themselves. Yeah. yeah. DTC, what's an acronym? Down to thanks, contract? Yeah. Uh, thanks. Thanks. for <laughs> <laughs> DTC is direct to consumer, right? So this... <laughs> <laughs> so this is a, it, what it comes down to more often than not is a Shopify store. Okay. I mean, shop, that's a dirty word, an e-commerce brand. And, and, you know, these, these folks, their goals are just set up on like, I'm going to create a website. It's going to make money in the background. It's going to be my idea. And that's going to be my thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, again, that was my, my attempt at a good segue to today's title. <laughs> for for our topic today today's topic specifically to brand but it's how does ux impact brand and even more specifically how does it build trust if you want to just start off the gate what what would be a good response for that question how does ux impact brand and build trust yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I, I have a metaphor that I like to rely on quite a lot. So kind of if you think about a vehicle, I mean, most people in North America are familiar with driving a vehicle, right? So mm -hmm. I kind of look at brand as the engine, right? It's this human designed, complex, 
interwork, you know, interconnected. There's a series of processes. They're all working together. And it does this amazing thing, which is move a vehicle down the road. Meanwhile, what you have, you have user experience, okay? And this is basically everything that the user does to your engine and your vehicle, from picking up the keys off of the kitchen counter table to getting in the vehicle, understanding the dashboard, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, operating yep. the vehicle, maintaining the vehicle, uh, you know, even to end of life cycle where, where they're done with this vehicle and they're moving on if they make that determination. That's, I've never heard that analogy, but I really like that. And I'm totally going to steal that. I know for, for what we do, we use like a, building a home, a foundation, right? And it's more probably specific to our process, but I like that. We always use the word intangible, right? So apart from a motor being tangible, I think one of the, one of the things you said there that I liked about brand was it didn't start, you didn't start with saying it's when you put your foot on the gas pedal, right? It wasn't when you opened the door, it was all the way back to grabbing the keys off the counter, right? right. That is all part of that, that user experience to said brand or motor. Um, and I think that gets overlooked often, right? Like here's a product, here it is. It's, that's it, right? That's your experience with it. No, it has to do with all those feelings you had to finding your keys, knowing what they look like, the jingle as you pick them up, the buttons as you push them, you know? And I don't want to get into interface when I talk about the buttons, but um, it's, it is part of that whole experience. So let's define UI, or excuse me, not UI. We're not touching UI. Let's define UX and brand. So you you had a, a killer analogy for brand. UX-wise, uh, some people swap words out pretty synonymously, but uh, user experience, how would you define that? And I think let's let's make it easier, <laughs> easy for you. Let's use it just websites, since that's kind of our MO, right? What would be defined for user experience on a website she was i mean yeah where do i begin there if you're gonna have a trusting relationship with the brand you need to legitimize the brand okay so you know as long as we're talking specifically about websites you know website is the number one way to legitimize your brand (laughs) say that again just for all the listeners yeah (laughs) One more time. Number right. one way, what? <laughs> the number one way to legitimize your brand is going to be through a website, you know? So it's like, yeah. okay, so social media is everywhere, right? Uh, we're constantly using social media. It's like 90% of our time spent interacting with a device. You know, like if you're still in a spot where you're saying like, oh, we don't need a website. We have a Facebook. Like, I just, I really don't trust that. Okay. Uh, you got to look at cybersecurity. You got to look at what's going on with scammers. People are scammed on a day-to-day basis. Do you think that like a scammer has a legitimate website? <laughs> right. No. No? You're saying yes, they have a legitimate no, no, website? They don't. No, they don't. I mean, they're going to have some really, they're going to have some crappy, I guess. So, so actually to that point, interesting story. Last summer, I was pool shopping. Okay. Super classy. I just wanted above ground, a big above ground pool. I have a decent amount of property. So I leveled out this cool little spot. So I started shopping and we all know the brand Intex, right? Like it is, it's like when you go to Walmart and you buy an inflatable, like an inner tube to go float the river, it's that company, right? So they build pools and all that. They build the ones that are rebranded. They say Coleman on it, right? I mean, it's, it's one company that's really doing all that work. I found a website that sold the the pool. We'll just hypothetically say it was $2,000, sold it for 500 bucks. And I was like, what? It's like on sale. And I was like, all right. So here, this is, this is web developer. This is what I've learned uh, in my tenure. So I stock the website. I'm just, I'm peeling through it, trying to find misspellings. I'm trying to find broken links. I'm trying to find like the footer information about, right? I'm going through it. I'm like, man. This could be legit. And so I add a couple to my cart. I was like, you know, I'm going to buy two of them and I'm going to sell one to pay for mine, right? That was my mindset. And then before I clicked submit, I realized, okay, I'm just going to double check this. I called my credit card company. I said, hey, I'm about to make this purchase. 
uh, if it's false, like if it's, if it's fake, are you, am I covered? And they're like, yeah, of course. I was like, done. It's worth the risk for just a split second. So I submitted it and I realized it ended up going to some dude's PayPal account. And the email was like, whatever his name was at Gmail. I was like, yep, that's probably not this company, right? But what I admired, this sounds terrible. I admired that the site looked legit. Like it is a a dead copy of what that pool company's website should look like. They just didn't do it, right? So like you said, number one way to legitimize, right? Is that website and people like us that are maybe savvy enough to go find those things, the abouts, go through to look at service, warranty, like, is it all there? Is that information there? But it looked just like it. Huh? So that's, Sucker. that is interesting. What was that? I said sucker. That's too bad you got bit. But yeah, at least you checked all your bases and ended yeah. up with a pool at the end of the day. No, no pool. Didn't get it. It was all you fake. You didn't get that one, but I've seen the pool. Oh, yeah. I, I got a pool. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I had to splurge and pay retail. Um, but yeah, I, I ended up getting that all claimed. It was fine. And apparently I was not the only one. And I don't want to say sucker, but you know, I, I knew going into it, I was like, this isn't true, but screw it. Like I'm, I'm covered. I just want to see, but anyways, what, it, so what are some ways why that, uh, that UX could support brand and even more specifically, what are some examples to use maybe on a daily? And I think we even were kind of talking about it bef- uh, before Ben got on, but what are ways that, uh, UX support brand? Gee, I'm blanking guys. Sorry. Is, is there a question? Is there a question I should be referencing here? Like a number one, two, three, or four? No worries. So it's in the topic. If you're in there, I'm on it. You had highlighted it, but talking about, I think you put brand is, let's see. I get a lot of DTC Can I get client. the number? I don't have numbers on this. It's up in the topic still up above. Oh my God. We're not even in the numbers. Jesus. All right. Not yet, all right. bro. My bad. My bad. I'm ripping through this. You're good. Okay. All right. I'm going to re-ask that question. <laughs> magic and post-production. If you don't have an answer, I skip it, but I'm just thinking of, uh, yeah, we'll get to there. Okay. Play. So by, no, I'm going to start that again too. So why, what are, what are some ways you've used? That's, the, that's probably the key part to this question. What are some ways that you have used, uh, UX to support a brand? Gosh, I don't know if I have an answer for this. I really don't. It's like, I I don't, I don't know if I have clients that are that good. You know what I mean? My, uh, I can't, I haven't really been able to like reach holistically in and like do like full blown, like multi-channel experience where it's like, you know, we sell them a product. The box looks really great. We follow up with an email, you know what I mean? And then we like, and then we figure out some sort of ploy for them to tell somebody and then, and yeah. then get us a new customer, you know, like so in my head, you're talking about, ideally you're, that's how it would go. You're talking about the whole, the whole circle, the whole cycle then is part of what you're referring to when it comes to the UX for a brand to support the brand. It'd be from, again, the keys on the counter, yeah. the, the introduction to becoming a lifer, being a, a loyal uh, follower, if you will. Right. I mean, like, okay, I guess one thing does come to mind. Uh, I have a client, I have a DTC client, go figure. And basically we're trying to create culture goodies for that, that accompany their product. Okay. And our tactic that we're utilizing for this is a sticker. The reason why we chose a sticker is this is a product that's used by construction or electrician professionals. And there's a culture of helmet stickers, okay, in regards to this user group. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to basically push brand adaptation through culture lensing our product. And that tactic, again, is stickers. Yeah, I like that. And I, I think that's that, well, shoot, stickers are seem to be a pretty universal, depending obviously on the industry. But like, I know why you mountain bike, Ben's a big skier, like, Stickers are an, yeah, an MO for, for a lot of our fellow, if you will, industries that's clever though, incorporating that into an industry, which I wouldn't have, like, if you said, guess the industry, I wouldn't have pictured that. 
Sure, sure. I mean, like I learned all kinds of weird stuff by talking to my client, right? Uh, we all do. I mean, like, okay, so think about a construction site or a job site. You know, this environment, it's 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 not church, okay? It's not it's not uh, you know a networking event at a sophisticated bar downtown, right? These are real people doing, you know, challenging physical labor. As such, the humor that they employ really reflects that. Okay. And like, again and again with this client, they're just like, how do we tap that? How do we tap that? Right. And so, you know, these sort of, this, these kind of like culture lensing opportunities are what I'm really hopeful for in regards to, to just kind of bringing, bringing back the product to the product's use, i.e. Mm. brand to the experience that the brand is providing. Yeah, I, I think that kind of segues to my what I had as the next question, but talking about uh, what some ways the UX is changing and how should businesses consider uh, their own relationship between those two. I think that was a prime example, I think, of it is uh, an industry or company saying, hey, how, how do we change our normal MO how do we change our, our normal approach to promoting this topic or this brand or this product? Uh, and how do we tap into that that vein, if you will, the commonality within the the usership, right? Well, and I think too, if you think about even like, so with a lot of these companies now, they're doing a better job of saying, hey, we're not going to show up like Punky Brewster and everyone's looking different. You know, we're going to have the same shirt, same pants, same, you know, safety vests, helmets, but the helmet is one of those rare places where they can sort of uh, express themselves, right? And so you see that in sport, whether it's maybe they got, you know, they're doing some sock or shoe doping with their special shoes and socks or tattoos, obviously. And then on a work side, I think that is one of those areas where if they're given a little bit of license, yeah, this is an area where they can express themselves. So if you can tap into that prime real estate and have them desire to associate your brand with that small little bit of individuality, that's, a, that's prime real estate. That seems like a, a real smart move. Yeah, that's great. I mean, just just please, brands, for the love of all that is, you know, just be more human, right? Social media introduced the viral thing to us, the viral topic to us. Viral topics are human topics. You know, these are emotional connections or, or reactions that folks have to this. And they work, they take off, they get shared, you know, harness that for your brand get more sales like that. Right. I, I love it. It's great. And it's, it's just like a part of a bigger shift too. Right. I feel like we, as a culture in the marketing, uh, uh industry, we're really f focused on performance marketing. Okay. This is data, data all the time, uh, sponsored posts all the time, market data all the time. Okay. You know, you can introduce something hilarious or something heartwarming or something, you know, with actual real human culture behind it. And all of a sudden you're like blowing through your demographic, you're reaching new demographics, you're, you're like across the whole spectrum. And so it's a great time. Are you familiar based on just exactly your answer right there? Uh, Wyatt, are you familiar with jobs to be done theory? I'm not, no. It is data, right? But it, it is data that identifies and tracks the feeling, the why, the, the internal need, right? It's, it's an interesting approach to gathering that data, gathering that information to really find out why a consumer does a thing, does a purchase, uh, signs up for whatever, because it, it rewinds all the way back to the original emotion. Um, it's, it's pretty interesting, but it, it helps formulate some of uh, what you're talking about. Uh, because you can then take this is my market, identify that and name it as a persona, if you will. But then you can actually see these other outliers that like you maybe couldn't have seen, if you will, because you were so focused on this. You're like, whoa, I could actually with all of this gain and, and, and build on that persona, that demographic. Uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for the recommendation. Yeah, yeah. So user experience, uh, when I put these notes together, um, listeners, uh, you've heard me reference notes uh, with some of our guests before. So obviously we have to do some homework in this podcast. We can't just sit down and talk naturally or organically. Uh, so we have to build on it. So 
what I did is put together kind of a, an outline. Um, I call it additional notes, whatnot. So we, I wanted to define kind of the elements that build up some of that UX for brand. And I used AI to help me do it. Admittedly, I admitted it to Wyatt and Ben. But basically, we, we kind of boiled it down. And I say we, like it was another person. It was just ChatGPT. We boiled it down to kind of this list. And, and I wanted to kind of methodically just kind of go down that list with Wyatt and get his take, get your take. I was referencing the listeners just then. So talking about user uh, experience significantly uh, shaping brands image and trust, right? Because again, the key part in here is building that trust. Number one, consistency in design. You want to talk about that a little while? Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah, you have to, you must be consistent in order to present, you know, a professional and reliable brand. The biggest brands in the world are extremely good at this, okay? And folks, guess what folks do? They interact with these extremely large megacorps uh, way more often than you, okay? So they're used to really good brand marketers, okay? You need, you like, you, you essentially have to acquiesce that if you're either, if you're even going to be a blip on these folks' radar. Yeah, I, I just realized too, as you said that we the little guys uh, are definitely competing for that little sliver of attention. Right. You know, and what I thought you were about to say, which I just kind of feel like is, is my own projection of this is you may be interacting. I'm just going to choose Nike since it's a Portland kind of thing. You, you may interact with that, that company and there's just this mega organization, but that interaction somehow, if they do their job, right, which they do pretty well, feels personal. Right. There's that that personal connection, like I identify with that. Ben and I talk about that connection like all the time. Outdoor industry uh, appeals to it. The brewery industry appeals to it where it's just like, that's me or that's who I want to be or that's what I want people to think of me. But talking about consistency and I, and I listed out design elements, right? If you start to go off on a tangent with your designs that just doesn't feel consistent with the brand it's going to alienate people. They're just not going to feel like, whoa, where's this guy going? Or, and they, not, they're not thinking, where's this guy going? But what is Nike? What is the brand doing here? Fonts, colors, visual styles, all of that kind of helps bring together that cohesiveness, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, on the one hand, you're like, oh, they're speaking directly to me without speaking directly to me. They're actually speaking to everybody that they can, you know, provide, yep. rev you know, create revenue with. However, uh, yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna go on a tangent and break consistency, you're no longer speaking with them. Okay, you are just confusing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So number two, user centered design. So uh, this kind of goes back to you know understanding the client, understanding their need or or audience, understanding um, their preferences. Again, colors photos the photos you choose to put on this this design this one specifically let's go back to that little project that you and i uh cascade and and why it helped uh put together the concept was that we had to figure out where this user was actually engaging with this label so it was a it was a design and you could speak to it why yeah actually why don't why don't you describe kind of that and then we'll talk about how we kind of came up with where the user physically would be at when he engaged or she. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Yeah. So we, we worked on a retail activation together. Okay. This is a QR code activated event, marketing event that would occur to our customers. And, you know, it happened to them in the marketplace. So basically what we did is we repackaged that context to the user. Okay. And I, I feel this is really powerful because, you know, we were able to cut through and say like, look, we know you're facing a decision right now, which is you're trying to figure out your product at a really crowded environment. And, and, you know, by us extending a hand and uh, just being there <laughs> in that time of, of maybe like choice paralysis, 
yeah that we all suffer when we go to the grocery grocery store is a busy place right right we're going to assist you with that so that was really the beauty the beauty of that engagement in my opinion yeah and it and it doesn't even have to be like a busy place but i find myself doing this way too often this sounds terrible like sounds like i'm an alcoholic but i basically just stand there and i'm like which one do i want today right like because let's be honest like there are some staples that you just always i'll grab those but like there are new flavors, there's new brands, there's new seasonals, like they make it those, those industries make it pretty tough, right? To just like, go in, grab that one and like, whoa, what did I just see? And then you're reading it, you're learning about it, right? And yeah, so it's not this- only tough on it's not only tough on themselves, but tough on the consumer. I think you're speaking to the consumer, but for them, right? And I've got I've got some friends in that realm as well. And they're like, how far off the reservation do you go with this stuff? You know, they've got all this breadth and it's uh, yeah, it's a confusing marketplace in determining how, you know, how creative you want to get versus, you know, staying to your your core is it's a fascinating thing to observe. Yeah, yeah. Sure. All I right, mean, that's so, number- so really speaks to me about like consistency as well. Right. So innovation is great, right? man, you can really, you can found your brand on innovation. You can found your brand on tradition and heritage. At some point, you, you you know what I mean? You have to really commit to either of those paths. Totally. All right. So number three, clear communication. So I wrote a effective graphic design and UX ensures information is presented clearly and intuitively when users can find or excuse me, when users can easily find what they're looking for and understand the content, it reduces frustration, what we were just talking about, and increases trust in that brand's competence. So that's 100% what we were just what you guys just said. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, when I read this prompt, it also really uh, reminded me the importance of testing. Okay, you know, so so like a UX principle is test early, test often. Uh, so I love that, you know, for for just reminding ourselves of what's really real here, okay? And that is going to be your user. And how do you, what, what are some of the ways in which you test that, Wyatt? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't right now, you know. Yeah, I mean, a better question is where do you find the budget for that? Gee whiz, you know, at this point, I'm basically like one half psychoanalyst, one half creative thinker. Okay. And, and I do my best based on my experience to intuitively guess at again and again. And, uh, there's, there's no follow-up testing. Let's face it. But, you know. Yeah. And I, I mean, we can relate to that as well. I, you know, we do the best we can and I, and I, that's where, I mean, I, every time I hop on a prospective sales call, it's like, we're all gonna do the best we can in the room. You're probably gonna want to put your resources towards building the best thing possible, but are you really gonna, you know, talk to six people and like, you know, bank your, your, this brand initiative on six people whose opinions are, hmm, how valuable are they? Uh, but I think the, the benefit of, of doing, you know, digital deliverables like ours is then we can do some, you know, do some metrics on the backside and say, how's that working? And where do we want to tweak that moving forward? But yeah, I, I find the same challenge when I'm talking to, you know, our clients is like, we'd love to test this, but how much value do we get out of that? So that, that was, I guess, uh, similar to our experience. Well, it it kind of also goes back, Ben, we've talked about like just getting it, getting the project to stand on its own and then figure it out. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting putting out a crappy product, a crappy website, crappy marketing, right? But to some extent, like let it stand and then figure it out too. You know, there's a certain layer of that, you know, and granted, granted budgets aside, if you had the biggest budget, Wyatt, testing all the time, right? Of course testing after you launch it, testing after it's delivered and executed, of course, right? Long term. Right, so, yeah. So next next one, uh, brand personality. So graphic design choices can convey the brand's personality and value. I was kind of curious on this, Wyatt. Throughout your career, choosing a brand, one of, I think, a gift, success, there we go a gift that successful graphic designers and marketers have. And I'm, I'm grouping in marketer because you kind of said it, that you kind of have to have pl- different hats. You playing different roles as, as a freelancer, right? Um, I do it, I feel like all the time where I'm getting to know a new brand, we're, bringing, we're brought on board and I have like crash course 
and have to embody, have to personalize that brand. How do you do that? What are, what are maybe some steps that you do that to become familiar with the brand? Yeah, basically grill whoever is the brand manager. You know, if, if they don't have a designated brand manager, this is going to be your founders. Uh, if, you know, maybe they're still at that level. Man, so many people that work on the brand, you know, really are brand managers. Okay. So we're going to grill those people. I, I have a couple of different exercises. Okay. So sometimes I'll say like, uh, give me three adjectives that describe your brand. Okay. So I'll start there. Okay. And then from there, what I'll do is I'll extrapolate maybe like seven more adjectives. I'll figure out the opposite of the adjective. I'll put it on a sliding scale and we'll sit there and we'll sliding scale this thing. Okay. I've done that a couple of times. What we found is really, it is just the original three adjectives. Okay. And then we go back to that and we say, okay, like in regards to design motifs, I, I think I know how to accomplish these. Is there a way I can maybe subvert the typical design motifs that we associate with set adjectives while still supplying? that attribute, you know, can we do that and really create something different and, 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 and interesting and unique is the client going to be comfortable with that, you know, more often than not, your client is not comfortable with that. A dream client is okay. <laughs> right. So, and this is, this is what we're searching for. That's cool. I've, I've done that exercise a few times. Um, and it seems tedious and I, I've been in the other shoe. I've been in the, the client shoe where I had someone, uh, an agency come in and, and do those exercises. And you're like, what the crap is this for? Like, I don't get it. And then later on, it's kind of this big reveal of because we decided these things, it's informing all of this. Now we understand this personality. Now we have this intangible and we can, we can live through this now. Uh, it's a pretty interesting experiment. Nice. All right, so I love number, it. Number five, visual hierarchy. Maybe you can speak to that real quick uh, as well, and, and we'll cruise through the rest of these. Yeah, man. I mean, so this is really like foundational graphic design to me, uh, is figuring out, you know, the order in which folks need to process information, uh, what's going to be most important to the, su the success of the project. Excuse me, a little whistle going on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, more often than not, that's conversion. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you can't, obviously you can't lead with conversion. Okay. So do a little bit of the work, gain their trust and then convert. That's a fine hierarchy technique. I love that. Um, again, you know, I, I'm a traditionalist, right? And so when you talk about hier hierarchy, that is maybe like day one in a traditional graphic design, uh, education. Okay. Yep. So so I love that for uh, uh, websites, especially a technique that I rely on is, you know, there's a CTA at the top, there's a CTA at the bottom. This one's pretty simple, right? Don't make people scroll all the way back to the top. Yep. Yeah. You, I think hit it right on the nail. I use that word pretty often. I find at the beginning of any kind of engagement with a client when they're, we're talking about brand and establishing these rules, right? Is like, do you understand what the word hierarchy means? One, two, do you understand it's, it's affected visually, right? Like size, colors, weight, all of those things can produce that, that hierarchy of what should come first. And they're often like, well, is it right here at the top? I said, it may be, but it's, it's what your eye is being drawn to first. You know, it's, it's that attention and then it, it funnels in. It's, it is design 101, right? Uh, and even let's rewind pre-web. It was it was print, right? It was the Z. Remember the Z on the page where it was like left to right down. Mm. Like you could you visually did it with photos, right? Yep. Early on, so like you, Wyatt, I uh, my mom taught photography and did yearbook in my high school. And so, of course, what did I do? I I took photography as like a freshman and then became TA, and because I thought it would be a breeze which was not at all the case because my mom would make me go in on Saturdays to help lay out. And so we had little Nikon, little uh, scanners. So I'm scanning film, putting it in and I had to figure out hierarchy, right? I'm doing layout on print pages to, to get attention. You couldn't, 
yeah, so that's that's always been one. It is one on one. It is basic, but it is something that comes into play on a daily for design. This reminds me of another experience I have. You know, so so you're tra- so you're educating your client, right? I think that's kind of yep. what we're talking about. Uh, yes. Another idea we're talking about: educating your client. What is hierarchy? Oftentimes, I'll like I'll come into a situation occurring with a client or prospective client, and it's there's no hierarchy, right? So I'm able to explain this by saying, when everything is bold, nothing is bold. Okay, so yep. everybody look out for that one because you'll find that more often than not, if they're not working with a professional, they're going to head down this route. Yep. Yeah. I just want it bigger, bigger, always right. bigger. Like, no, well, that that actually takes me back to the the way back days of the early 2000s and the late 90s where we used to we used to um, allow for font and color uh, um, administrative controls with our content management system. And we always joke about like, keep Vegas out of your website because it's pink, it's it's yellow, it's green, it's blinking. And it's like, just because you can does not mean you should. So to right. this day, unless they really press for it, some of those things are locked down. It's like, we just need some consistency for you. There's plenty of places where you can push the envelope, but some of those core elements, that's not the way to do it. Nice. I'm going to add that one. Keep Vegas out of the website. That one's right behind. <laughs> if everything bold is nothing is bold. That's Love right. It. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put that in the show outline in the description. See why it's notes. Of course, of course, some clients will be like, but I love Vegas. Right? I love Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we're not a good fit after all. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Next one. Um, so why one of uh, one of the services I'm trying to think if we work together on any of it, but one of the services that we're starting to offer uh, and finding really good success and value for our clients is audits. So we'll go through a website and provide kind of this, we hope that it's neutral information uh, about said website and different categories. Uh, one of those categories is accessibility. So accessibility being readability, right? So contrast and colors. Is it easy for someone with motor skills to be able to click on or touch or navigate through? What if they can't see? What if they're blind? Like, are they're going to use a screen reader? Is is it going to be read both accurately and in order appropriately to what they're used to or need? So, speak a little to uh, maybe some of your experience, or at least what you could think of when it comes to design to address needs for accessibility. Yeah, I mean the the accessibility is a great thing. Okay. It's so wonderful. So again, these are, these are all just touching on fundamental design theory. Okay. Yep. You need enough contrast for so-and-so to be legible. You need a clear presentation of your data. Okay. To all folks, you know, I, I really enjoy it personally. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people uh, don't even realize it. They're like, I want this giant image here. So again, specific to websites, but shoot, it's print too. Um, I want this beautiful image right there. And then I want this catchy phrase right over it. And you're like, but it's such a light image and you want white font, white text over it. You're like no one can read that. I can't read it. Right. So thankfully, there's a ton of tools, free tools for, for listeners out there. There's free tools that you can go scan it and help determine if you have issues or you can just hire us and bring us to do it correctly. But fundamental design, I, I feel like a lot of what we talk about with UX is just elementary design, if you will. It's what we were taught or should have been taught day one or two, right? When it comes to being able to read stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, if I could, if I could jump in on that, just to just to celebrate that perspective that you're both bringing, because I think about things like, you know, dietary challenges, accessibility. You know, there's lots of things in our world today that we weren't necessarily expected to be considered around for some of these, you know, like these um, minority groups in our population. And and I think about, you know, some folks like, oh, you have dietary restrictions. I'm not, I'm not here to play with that where others are like, no, I got you. Let's do this. This is going to be great. What a great challenge. And so just celebrating that openness and that, that desire to, to really make it work for the audience versus making your jobs easier as designers is, is something that, you know, frankly, I feel like we don't see enough. So I think just keeping that 
that curiosity and that desire to embrace those those unique challenges versus again just trying to keep your world small and your your filter set of considerations small uh, in the world we're living in that doesn't that doesn't play very well these days. Yeah, right. it's like imagine how much better your life would be if a designer had just pointed out that the food you've been eating for 20 years is giving you really bad inflammation. Okay. It's right. like, and you know, all these things are like so much easier said than done. Cause of course, of course, when you think about a compelling visual on a website, you think about a great image with text on top. Okay. Easier said than done. It's really, that can go South quickly. Okay. Yeah. Please hire a professional. <laughs> Two things there. One, kudos for mixing metaphors there, Wyatt, between a creative design and dietitian uh, needs there. That was good. But also, I think moral of the story, like you just said, Wyatt, is hire professional. Like, this is what we were taught from day one. You know, like, this is what we have eyeballs for to help identify and, and shoot as Ben, Ben will attest with some client testimonials, potentially save you some major lawsuits. You know, I mean, that's a reality. And I think the, the, the idea of hiring a professional is like, we, we are all stuck in our areas of focus. And if you're not thinking more broadly and how the world is changing around you, but just, this is what I know. And I'm going to stick to that. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to expose yourself to some liability if in, in sort of a financial worst case, but you also might just turn away your core audience and completely, you know, destroy your brand with without even knowing it. So a lot of benefit yeah. in, in continuing to think about what 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 are these various filters we've got to run this through today that maybe we weren't considered of as much five, 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. All right. So next one on the list is a performance and load speed. So again, topic, how does UI or excuse me, how does UX, I keep saying that, how does UX uh, help build trust for a brand? This one hits home to me because I'm out in the boonies. Well, I say boonies. I'm out in the woods. My my internet, it, it slags. It gets a little slower every once in a while, so I have to boost it. But load speeds are a big one because our attention span, especially now, especially youngins, is this long. Like, we are done. If a page is not loading, I'm out, right? What's the point? So load speeds. The one tool we just implemented and again this is not to try to boast or anything this is us just continually evolving is adding in tools that help take photos and make them smaller because as a designer i want that photo to be huge i want it to look beautiful right the issue is most people are looking on this not this big screen that's over to my right so does it need to be that big so talk about that and and maybe some of the efforts that you Wyatt, make uh in just helping be more efficient so that pages load faster. Yeah, great. Yeah, I'm happy to. I've ran into this problem a lot. You know, I mean, the first the first blocker to seeing a website is seeing a website, right? So you're not you're not seeing a website if the images aren't loading. Okay. So this is literally table stakes, a mandatory requirement in order to capturing, you know, literally anybody. So, so I love that, you know, and it's, it's, you really have to focus on what's going to be critical to communication. Okay. And oftentimes this is not the beautiful 4k image. Okay. So just, just step <laughs> back from that. So yeah. like if we want to talk about specifics, 960 pixels wide. So this has been a dimension that's been thrown around for a very, very long time. And I still use it today. Okay. You think about like a laptop, like a 13-inch MacBook or 13-inch whatever uh, HP, right? You're getting, you know, you're maybe at 1440 if the if the browser is completely open. Okay, you got a wrapper on that. Uh, maybe there's another wrapper on that. Okay, at this point, you're in like the 1280, 960 range. 960 on the safe side uh, because it's smaller and it's going to provide less less strain on your connection yeah yeah i'd almost i'd almost trade off that quality especially when we're talking about image we're not talking about video that they're sitting there and watching right and consuming we're talking about an image that's that's a quick glance to help display right. brand to help communicate that message for whatever that content is if it needs to be if if your website is an 
is like a photography portfolio, fine. One image, huge. That's fine, I guess, you know? Yeah, so that's that's an interesting one. The next one uh, is feedback and error handling. And enough with the self-promotion, but I wrote a blog specific to this. Uh, why I think you would contest to one of the the issues, one of the tools or, or mechanisms that we as designers have to create what I call guardrails. And that's literally, it's called feedback guardrails or whatever I think was the, the blog post title. But it's, it's those rules of engagement, if you will, for feedback, error handling. Um, it's getting that, that feedback from the client, from the, the audience, from whoever it is, is providing that and understanding how that builds that trust, right? So with clients is tell me what you think. I'm a designer. Unlike maybe some other people you've worked with, you won't hurt my feelings. Like I'm good. Let's talk this through. I want to know what you saw, right? How, how are some ways that you've handled that in the past? Jeez. Yeah. Uh, as far as, you know, gathering user feedback, geez, I don't know if I've ever really gone too near that. I think where, what really connects with me is, is not actually it as like a feedback gathering tool, but more as a feedback mechanism. So I think like one thing that I see a lot, uh, as I'm using websites these days is you'll perform a certain function or action. Okay. Such as I've completed, you know, so-and-so task. Basically from there, you're taken to a screen and there's nothing on it except for two things. And those two things are going to be a cute graphic in a branded style. And then maybe two lines of copy that explain that, you know, they've received your feedback, which is you've completed a task. Okay. A way you could expound on this is like, what are the next steps? Okay. Uh, provide them with, provide them with the path away from this towards more usefulness towards more fulfillment out of your experience. That's really good. I, I, uh, I wasn't even thinking of that path, but that's totally true where you need that validation and confirmation that I was heard. Right. Right. That the user that that the user was heard and listened to. I think that's great. And again, going back to the topic, UX building trust for brand, you know, like that is 100 percent that. Yeah, that's interesting, too. I, I feel like sometimes when we throw out requests for feedback that I think what I heard from Simon was trying to, like, narrow down the kind of feedback we get, because sometimes you'll have folks that like come in late stage and it's like, oh, okay, I'm I'm gonna run roughshod on this thing. I don't like this. I don't like that from a UX, like a an actual user experience perspective versus how the brand's being portrayed. And so sometimes we find we have to say, okay, now let's refer back to what we agreed to in terms of, you know, some of the brand, you know, style guide core elements. Here's how these are reflected here. How do we like that? To try and like reinforce, I heard you, and this is how I'm translating that. And then certainly on on certain elements in terms of function, where let's say certain members of the team made a decision, we all agreed to it. And then a new member comes in, it's like, oh, I'm supposed to provide value here. I've got to give them feedback or I'm not, I'm not doing my job. And and so I think sometimes we've had some challenges again, just like really focusing their feedback so that we're we are going, you know, incrementally more specific towards that that point we're all trying to reach versus, you know, getting getting sidetracked or you know sidetracked on certain topics. We're like, whoa, 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 rein that back in. So I don't know if you have any thoughts there where you feel like folks are aren't necessarily honoring the the, the work that's building toward this this design piece or you know um, uh, element that you've created. But um, that's that's one thing that I'm always looking for creative ideas to to shepherd them in the right direction, not hear what we want to say, but have everyone honor the work that, that led up to that point. Yeah. Gee, I've, I've discussed this with like other folks in your shoes, Ben, you know, they're like a service agency owner. And basically one ethos I've heard is just, you know, give folks very specific things to actually comment on. Okay. And it's, you know, you're creating an environment where it's like, we're just discussing three things here. It's like you're almost only permitted to speak on these th three things right now, which yeah. is difficult to do. It's extremely challenging to create the environment. So yeah, you want to anybody who's successful with that. 
Yeah, you want it to be uh, flexible and 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 you know ultimately get where we're trying to get, and it's not always completely linear. But on the other hand, it's like we had that conversation three weeks ago. We had this conversation. We we're moving into this phase. Now we're going back. Do we want to go back? And and that can be tricky. But no, I, I appreciate hearing that. I think that's right. Is really focusing the, the specific feedback you're seeking instead of allowing them to just um, drop all of their emotional uh, baggage on you at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> Which can be uncomfortable. So like my hat off to you for like facing that day in and day out. Cause yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, an, that's a tough one. You know, there's the work itself and then there's all the work that actually alludes to the work. Right. And I think that's what we're talking about here. So I love that. I like, I'm actually drawing a parallel Ben between what, what we were originally kind of thinking with guardrails and then even what Wyatt brought up as, as almost like the user or the front end, the end, uh, the end user is that little like bit of feedback that you said there, Wyatt, where it's like you get that screen and nothing's on it except for some branded little cute image and a thank you, we received it. That to me is kind of that confirmation of the guardrails. Like I, end user, submitted something to you. I, I fulfilled my obligation. Now in turn, your obligation is to confirm that you heard me, Right. That's that's kind of that like end user version of that. Very simplified, obviously, but but that's interesting. All right. So the last one on today's list, believe it or not, I was not going to include because when I say it, it's kind of just stupid that we have to say it. Mobile responsiveness. Like, again, Wyatt, this is specific to websites, but like this is just the norm. And yet even today, we're still having this conversation with clients of, okay, mobile responsiveness. How many clients do you have? How many, how many people visit your website and they're on a mobile device? Or what is that priority? What's the task? What are they trying to do? And just point blank, like it just should just be the norm is mobile responsiveness, right? What's your experience on that one? Yeah, man, this requires so much self-awareness okay and this is challenging I, obviously anybody knows that being self-aware is challenging right i mean i'm I, if i look at it from my perspective which you kind of have to do you have to get outside your own head in order to become self-aware i'm sitting here i'm on my workstation guess what my workstation is it's a desktop experience okay I'm on a path to completing a job. I have to be able to basically pry myself away from that and and really just grill this thing on a mobile device before I can put that forward. Okay. And you know, you gotta look for this quality in your service provider. Maybe we have listeners out there on the client side that are that are uh uh hearing this right now. You know, you really have to be aware of how self-aware your service provider is in this way. Yeah, it's it's in, I know specifically it's in our contracting, it's in a lot of our description of services and stuff. But right. but again, it is it is that conversation that we continue to have is is okay, now what's it look like on mobile? And and our developers were fortunate. That's like the first thing they ask. And me as a designer, of course, I'm designing it in this beautiful situation where it's like everyone's on a desktop, this huge screen. And then Michael's like, uh, what's it look like on, on mobile? And I was like, oh crap, I have to go back and change it all. Right. Well, and, and you, then, oh, go ahead. And then that whole experience is even different, right? Cause I love hovers. I love those interactivities, those, those whiz bangs, right. Of extra little fun things. You know, that term is, uh, I want some of that fun and on mobile, you don't get that. And, no. and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's, it's degraded. It's, it's down lower. It's just a different experience. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, I've been doing this since 1998 and, and you'd see folks that came understandably from a print perspective. It's on lock. Oftentimes it's big and wide and they can cram a bunch of stuff in there. And then you, then you get to a digital environment. And it's like, hey, inherently, this is anything from a smaller screen to a much larger screen. What are we doing there to respond prior to smartphones? And then we fast forward to the what? Late aughts. Uh, early teens and then like mobile first design, but, but do we do that? So I, I find that we <laughs> communicate with our clients first, we're going to do the homepage in desktop. Yeah, right. We're all going to agree with that. <laughs> That's what I want your feedback on. Now let's talk about how we take that sort of, you know, top grade design experience, user experience and cram that down into smartphone environment, which is, I think worked qu quite well for us. 
but yeah, I don't know that we fully adopted mobile first, even though in a lot of cases, our clients are, you know, majority of their clients are there, but still like you got this, all this space to work with the designers in you and, and within organizations are like, let's, let's make something rad. It's so mobile first. So I've done that before, right? I created a website mobile first. It still looked like a mobile website on desktop. It did not work <laughs> out for me. I can say that with authority. It done, that website does not exist anymore. The, wow. the client moved their product, you know, to a different marketplace. They abandoned that design. And so that was, you know, things like that happen, right? And you got to learn from them. So, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's, it is, it is a bit of a hybrid approach, right? You make a lot of caveat for your desktop experience in regards to your mobile experience. You really do. You really do. I was actually just going to ask you why it, like, it'd be just fun to have a little contest of like, okay, design it on mobile, design it for mobile, and then reverse that whole normal engagement of let's, let's approve this. And then, okay, now I'm going to see what I can do on desktop right. using this. And you just actually, I don't want, you discouraged me from that contest. I don't think I want to have it now, but like, that does not sound like fun, actually. Well, I mean, if you know that, if you know that that's a pitfall, okay, yeah. uh, potentially you'd be able to avoid it. However, yeah, that's, that's, that's my number one kind of like qualm with, with mobile first and such. So me, I've adopted a hard grilling. Okay. I just grill that mobile. I am, I am yeah. rather focused on desktop, but I am going to grill mobile. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. I, uh, I think you and I shared it back and forth. Uh, I use Adobe, so it's XD. So making those versions, testing it over and over. And then obviously when it's deployed and when it's live and then making sure we're opening it up. Um, I think some of the beauty in, in having a little team, uh, I don't know what iPhone you have. I assume it's an iPhone, but whatever phone you have, why, if, if you need me to test it, I have a little iPhone 13, happy to send it over to me. But the beauty in our developers, I think Michael still is not on an iPhone. So it's like, just send it to Michael. Have him, he's the outlier, right? Um, right. On non iPhone, right? So, but yeah, because that it makes a difference, you know? Yeah. Wyatt, man, that was an hour. We killed it. I just want to thank you for joining. We have three closing questions, uh, not really questions. So it's on the top of the notes that we were talking about. What is something you're currently working on you're allowed to share? Yeah, uh, gee, so I mean, like we're talking, the freelance world is insane, right? So you could be working on something that takes three months and then meanwhile, you'll get like a week long project and like a few of those within that. I'm literally, I'm wrapping up a week long project right now that is literally, so this is editorial content because I got a little bit of that in my experience. And these are blog posts about AI generated by AI. Okay, <laughs> so... I'm I'm there. I'm living it right now. I'm living the future of of touch up to AI work and it's and it's happening. And you know, I'm I'm allowing it right now cuz it's a, it's contextually it's a great fit. Uh will I continue to allow for it in the future? That remains to be seen. But it but it's occurring yeah. and and you know, I've actually been in a spot where I've been relying on AI for foundational work in other projects that aren't even AI related. So, so that's, that's what I'm working on right now. I'm working on mentally coming to terms with that as well as literally employing it. Wow. That's good. I like that. The, the meta in that of using AI to write AI. Uh, I like that. That's fun. <laughs> I don't, know, I don't know how much AI the blog author wrote just to make that clear. <laughs> or yeah. utilize, rather. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So you, you mentioned editorial, uh, what is something that you hope to work on more? Um, again, dream budget, dream client. What does that picture look like for you? Jeez. Yeah. You know, I was talking about it in the beginning of our conversation, but I'm really enjoying working with other enterprising individuals, you know, that have, have done the corporate thing and are, and are doing something on their own. You know, I think the DTC revolution is actually really exciting. I'd love to see more of that. 
you know, not to mention I'm getting faster at that one. And I would just, you know, love to continue and grow and providing these DTC experiences. I'm going to say DTC one more time. Another great <laughs> opportunity for user experience, right? So I've, I've had the opportunity to work on some, some really detailed mailing boxes, you know, and this is that one where the, the flaps kind of slip into these little pockets on the side. Right. And these are so cool. Cause you can make the box an experience you, you know, you're, you're working with all of these different panels, obviously you're working with the physical act of opening it, uh, seeing the inside, you know, perhaps we're wrapping up some culture elements that come along with said goods. So, so that's what I'm really enjoying right now and hoping to do more of. Yeah. Package design is, is kind of, uh, yeah, that, that's the unicorn for designers is I would love just experience on that, you know, of, of the texture. I, when you, when you meet another designer that hands you maybe like, uh, their resume or their portfolio or whatever, and you start to both nerd out on how it feels, then, you know. Like, yep, all right, I like that. That's good, you know. Yeah, and, and I really enjoyed checking out your leave behinds too, Wyatt, that you're promoting on, on LinkedIn and other places. I I'm, I imagine that's just such a fun pattern interrupt for people like, who's this guy? And wow, that's pretty cool. And, and the tactile feel of it, especially if you're so used to, you know, a lot of these companies, they're just marketing companies. They're just propping up the DTC website and then they're, you know, having stuff direct ship and they might not even be touching it or experiencing the products that people are so excited about. So to, you know, to have some of these more tactile leave behinds and, and force people to think outside of uh, the digital realm, you know, hopefully that's working well for you. But I, I always respected that investment in, uh, in creatives, you know, trying to, to chase down work. For sure. Yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah. If listeners want to see what Ben's talking about, pop open LinkedIn, uh, plunk my name in there. Wyatt Gaines, W-Y-A-T-T-G-A-I-N-E-S. You can see what Ben's talking about and more. Um, of course, you can find all of my work at www.wyattg.com. And finally, I'm on Instagram, believe it or not. So my handle <laughs> on Instagram is Wyatt G dash designer and that's d-s-g-n-r i cleverly removed all the vowels for that and uh yeah you can you can enjoy all the kitsch that i share you can stay up to date with new projects there so thanks so much guys i really appreciate you having me it's a pretty delightful conversation uh great to talk with other creative folks yeah i just really enjoyed learning from both of you really fun to catch up wide all the best all right, Wyatt, I appreciate it. Thanks for your time, bud. Uh, we'll be in touch.